Libertarians podcast, uh, where we talk about uh, New York City, liberty, the interaction of the two, the lack thereof, or the lack and and or the lack thereof. Yep. And this is me. You're uh, as you said. I'm Devin, and I lost. Ah, uh, I know. But you lost well. I ran for New York City Public Advocate. There were uh, over four hundred million people could have voted for me, and. Uh, and about 15,000 did, uh, which actually resulted in a in 2%, which is three times better than what I got when I ran for New York City Public Advocate in 2017. So it was actually, I mean, it was actually a pretty, pretty good result. Yeah, and as far as we know, in recent memory, it's the highest percentage. It was, it, was, it was slightly, yeah, could be, could be the highest percentage. Gary Johnson's 2017 campaign, which seems like a high watermark of Libertarian. 2016. 2016, right. Uh, got 19,000 votes, and I think the turnout was much, much larger. But anyway, but it was slightly under 2%. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, I'm, I, uh, I guess that continues to secure my position as the most vote-getting libertarian politician in New York City. So yeah. use that at the bars. And, sure. and as the Manhattan chair, uh, I did notice that uh, it's maybe a little wonky of a detail, but uh, Devin beat the conservative candidate in every assembly district against the conservative party line. So there's that. That's what I explain to people. <laughs> like, wait, what's the conservative party? Wait, wait, what's, what's the, the libertarian party? <laughs> yeah, what's the, yeah. Anyway, it was, a, it, was a, it was a fine time. I mean, one of the things that um, was so evident to me as someone who had a very uh, long shot 2017 run was just how far the party has come um, and where, you know, in my first run, which I really did just to see how these systems work. Um, and I knew I got 0.7%, um, but also there was no one interested in providing any type of assistance to me. The Libertarian Party meetings were tiny, particularly in Brooklyn, but in Manhattan there was no, there was very little sense of a kind of get behind the candidate. Um, and then and there weren't events, there weren't stuff. So it was to me the actual the experience of running this last cycle felt like everything was three to five times bigger. Yeah. Like and general. you had some events. You yeah. uh, ran some ads. Yeah, we had an you event. We had palm products. We did some direct mail. Yeah, and so and so what some I activism. Yeah, yeah. Mild, mild, mild activism. Got on New York one. Yeah, so I mean, it hit hit like a lot more milestones this time around. Um, one of the things that we did do with the campaign is we, we, we set out some experiments to see, you know, okay, if we're gonna do an extremely limited direct mail buy, like what does that push the envelope, um, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of the districts. Um, and so the, the, we're gonna get the data in about a week from the state to really be able to- Wait, has the, has the city even finished its tabulations? No, so we're still only at 90% counted and, uh, you know, and, and, and the data, there's no data, it's just, it's just web stuff, so we'd have to scrape the data from the web to get 
industry at this point. But my what I understand is that January third, when everything's certified, I mean December third, when everything's certified. Oh, is that one? Okay. Yeah, and then we'll get uh, we'll get actual like CSV tables. We'll be able to throw them into some GIS and we'll get to play. All right. So, yeah, and I think that what we'll find is that you know, we could run, we could we could compete with the Republicans in a variety of Manhattan districts if we if we put together. You know, and like West, Northwest Brooklyn. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I saw that there was very similar. Uh, I think we could actually like. I mean, if we could actually compete with Republicans in districts where the Republicans don't do terribly. Um, which would be like northern Manhattan type stuff. I mean, they do bad, but they don't do so bad. If you go with it, I don't know. We're gonna say we're gonna we're gonna be mm -hmm. we're gonna get to crunch the data. But anyway, it was quite a fun time. I think everybody who supported me, you know, another another indication that existed, and that is that I did get like unsolicited contributions, not a lot, but you know, a half dozen or so, um, from just random people who didn't make contact, just went online and donated. Um, so it was it was a. Uh, it was an experience. Happy, I'm happy I did it. Happy it's done. Takes emotional energy, um, but it's definitely worth. It's definitely worth a. Uh, it's definitely worth a try. And, and there is something unique about both being able to see your name on a ballot, but also being able to tell people that. Uh, you know, they'll be able to vote for you. Yeah. Just random people that you meet or people that you know. You know, and then and it's also fun after the fact too. Right? Which is a good segue. Mm. Well, to uh, if you anyone listening out or watching out there uh, want to run for office, uh, uh, I thought you were segueing. Oh, oh, oh I, sorry. I, I, I take back my uh. <laughs> uh, in 2020 or 2021, uh, we have a lot of places, and it's very exciting. Uh, you don't have to petition uh, for the most part. Uh, a little bit of petition. A little bit, um, but very min very minimal. Yeah, very doable. and so you can run for state assembly, state senate, uh, Congress. We still have a lot open. Um, I don't know if Senate. Yeah, I mean that's twenty twenty, but people are already starting to run for twenty twenty one too. So yeah, and twenty twenty one I think is particularly exciting because we get to have city positions, and there's going to be a whole lot open, a whole lot of city council positions where the incumbent is going to be term limited. Uh, so that's going to be very exciting. Uh, mayor is going to be term limited. So the uh, so it's 2021 is a there's a lot of opportunity. The city has a very generous matching funds program, uh, and they've reduced particularly the city council uh, fundraising limit. So if you raise only five thousand dollars in the city, you will get eight to one matching. So if you raise five thousand dollars, which is frankly doable if you really try. Not as easy as it sounds, you, but absolutely doable. You will get a total $40,000 at the end of that, which is great. Yeah, and, and that's a real impact. Yeah, you can do a lot of direct mail with that. You can do a lot of, you can do a lot of, a lot of things with that. Spread the, spread liberty. I mean, it's basically. Yeah, you can take of, ads in the neighborhood. Yeah, you could, you, for, you could, you'll just get 35 extra thousand dollars to promote liberty, promote yourself. It's kind of a slam dunk. Anyone who thinks that they can, you know, must like put together a decent fundraising operation, which we'll absolutely help with. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, and it's automatic legitimacy. Yeah. So we're uh, we're having a citywide event. Uh, do you remember January fourteenth? It is. It's January fourteenth. January fourteenth. Uh, 
and it will be at the site of the Manhattan uh, Monthly Meeting, which is Ukrainian East Village Restaurant uh, on 2nd Avenue and uh, between 8th and 9th Streets uh, So that, at 7 p.m. So if you're interested, uh, we're at that point we're going to run through everything that it takes to be a candidate. Uh, it's going to be very exciting. Uh, you'll meet everyone else who's maybe looking to be a candidate. I, if you want to volunteer to be to work for a candidate, I would highly encourage you to come as well. Um, basically, ever we want to have as much turnout for this as possible uh, because we want to be as helpful as possible, and we want everyone to take this opportunity, uh, particularly because uh, we will talk about this later. But there's a big threat to our party's future, uh, and this might be the best time to actually run. Right, <laughs> this could be the only time that we're going to have automatic ballot access. Uh, so, to, uh, yeah, or ballot access in general in, yeah. at all. Uh, so, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that discussion. Uh, in relation to the, uh, the past election, I'd also like to talk about what happened to us libertarians when we tried to vote. And I'll, oh, yeah. I'll, just, uh, I'll just summarize what happened, uh, which is that um, what we know now, after we got all this information, and I testified and asked of the Board of Elections myself, um, is that the when libertarians came to the polls to vote, uh, there was a tablet sign-in system, and on the tablet, you get uh, you saw that there's this party affiliation section, and for every libertarian, it would indicate working families, which is not our party affiliation. <laughs> but it's a political um, party. It is a political party. So uh, there's a lot of confusion. People would thought that they're enrollment status was wrong uh, and what happened What happened was that uh, I had a bit of a back and forth at the board of elections on this because they claimed that they uh, acted as soon as they found out about the problem but they did not because I informed them of the problem around 9 a.m. and they said that they didn't really get around to acting until like 1 a.m. 1 p.m. Um, but uh, the uh, what happened was that the vendor apparently was not supposed to have that field be indicated and they didn't code for that field to be indicated. So uh, it was just a miscoding problem. You weren't supposed to see your party affiliation in this election because it didn't matter uh, and uh, as a general election. And they basically effed it up and it was very confusing uh, and they caught to that. So uh, I actually was offered to look at to preview the uh, the sign in for the next primary, so Ooh, exclusive uh, yeah. exclusive content. <laughs> so we can at least verify it next time. So trust but verify is uh, not only the FBI's motto. A lot of mottos. <laughs> a lot of things use that motto. Uh, so so that's that's what happened there. Uh, so rest assured that it did not affect enrollment. Uh, if you're Enrollment is not proper. It's not because of this. It might be because of other problems. Um, but uh, this did not affect enrollment. It will be addressed. They said it was going to be top priority for the next election. Uh, so that's the update on that. Cool. Good update. Yeah. Um, do we want to go right into all the all the the news of the day? Yeah. I don't know. You know. I don't know what what else is there. Uh, I did want to mention that uh, we invited, uh, we were going to invite Emmanuel, who is the chair of the Bronx Libertarian Party, um, but we had to organize this on short notice, so 
um, that wasn't quite doable. Uh, so we do intend to get him soon. And I think any chair of any of the uh, city parties, right? I mean, that, yeah. That if any, any chair uh, would like to come onto the show, if any, and a lot of people, uh, I think some people express an interest. So we are very open to having people on the show. Don't assume that. Please don't assume that this is just a place for Devin and Ilya. Uh, we'd love to get people on the show. Primarily chairs. Yeah. At least in my opinion. Because <laughs> uh, everybody wants to be on the show, even right. though very few people listen to the show. We are uh, we are wonky, and we like to focus on what's happening in the city. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to have characters on, you know, <laughs> of any type. You know, I'm all, I'm all for it. But I think that, you know, our the scope of the show and the profile should be... Keeping it, keeping it to chairs, just as a as a distribution medium for that. I would, I actually, I mean, we've talked before, mm -hmm. but I think it would be cool if if we were gonna you know, rename kind of the show, like re re or you know, we've got a SoundCloud distribution thing that puts the show around, you know. But if we had if we had the, sh the chairs show, and then if we were gonna do other types of shows or whatever, you know, we could do that, and that'd be a way to create uh, more opportunity for people to. Use yeah, distribution definitely. channel. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in the city. Uh, they passed legislation. I mean, today we saw, right, the vape ban got passed by the city council. So the city council, 42 to 2, voted to. 42 to 2. Yeah, voted to ban uh, all flavored uh, vaping products in the city, the sale of all flavored vaping products, except for tobacco flavor, which for some reason they think is a default. Every, all vaping is flavored uh, because there's- No flavor. Because vaping is no flavor. Uh, so, uh, the, and then tobacco flavor is the biggest reason why vaping should be okay. Not, there's the libertarian argument that right. we should be able to do whatever we want with our bodies. Right. Uh, beyond but, that. But beyond that, uh, there's a huge harm reduction uh, narrative, which is that people who, a lot of smokers, for the first time ever, found an effective smoking cessation tool in vaping. So vaping was a, was a way for adult smokers who smoked forever to successfully get off of it. It did, the patch didn't work, uh, the gum didn't work, these were all really bad products, uh, and vaping finally worked. Uh, so that, it, and, and the thing about vaping is that uh, anecdotally, a lot of people will tell you, and I think there's some research proving this, uh, but it's early, that the it was specifically the the difference in the experience of vaping from smoking, and that the, there are a number of aspects to it. But one is like an, it's an identity, but also uh, that the flavors are a very different experience than the than smoking tobacco, and that you can switch to a different experience. Uh, for people who use tobacco flavor, they're much more likely to continue smoking, to do both things at the same time. And, and apparently people who have right, quit, Tobacco flavor is probably the flavor for people who like to vape but also like to smoke. Right? Yeah. Because it's tobacco flavor. Yeah, and people who have quit have a really hard time with tobacco flavor because it reminds them of smoking, which they don't want to be reminded of. Um, and so this brings us to the strange world of uh, how society has managed cigarette smoking, right, as well. Because on one hand, you've got the politicians who are like, well, we don't want people to smoke. But then 
they do because the most successful aid in, in stopping people from smoking they're basically outlawing and that's flavored vape, vape products. But then it's like, okay, do they not want people to smoke or, right, you've got this MSA payment situation where the state is making almost a billion dollars a year, free money for them, on people continuing to smoke because, you know, cigarettes are extremely well taxed. I'm sure they're taxed at a rate that's much higher than vape products in terms of, like, one smoker, one average smoker versus one average vapor is definitely giving the government a lot more money in tax revenue. And so, does the government, what are they legislating this for? Are they legislating this to protect their income stream around this tax revenue that they've been using, almost a billion dollars a year, which is nothing to sneeze at, uh, or are they like doing this to like help people, quote unquote? Or they're doing it, of course it's for the kids, right? To prevent the kids from, who enjoy flavors. Just to be clear, it is already illegal for anyone under 21 in this city to be vaping. Right. So it's, it's uh, uh, you know, it's just another one of those frustrating things where it's like we know this isn't this isn't good public health policy right yeah that's for sure uh, and so then what is this uh, and it, honorable mention before we move on uh, city council also banned foie gras mm. uh, but it's to be clear to people uh, because we libertarians like to be very clear about what is prohibited uh, what is prohibited is the retention and sale of foie gras by food service establishments. Mm. So I can still buy foie gras in the supermarket? You can buy it in the supermarket, I believe. Okay. You can buy it, you know, outside of the city and bring it into the city. You can eat it. Uh, and the enforcement regimen... You just can't serve it on your menu at like a fine dining Right, you can't list it. If, if you have it listed on your menu, or if an inspector finds a package uh, with that says foie gras on it, then it is presumptively uh, retention. It's presumptively a, a violation of the ban. So, so you could have foie gras secretly. You could have foie gras secretly if you call a pate uh -huh. and you uh, you will throw out all your packages as soon as you open them. That's pretty cool. <laughs> we need to start a libertarian restaurant. That's just. Uh, yeah, but then they might just be lying in wait to try to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would have to be. Finest. Might have to be the finest, and you know. <laughs> but it's also it's only presumption. Of these types of things. But it's only presumption, so they could go out of the way and prove that it's foie gras. Uh huh. Uh, but there is foie gras that's not made with uh, gavage, which is this specific force feeding method. Uh huh. Uh, so I think they're like some kind of Spanish version. I don't know. Uh, and so the, it, ostensibly, the state would have no way of telling, I don't think, right. uh, what is legal and what is not. Do you think they're gonna have, there's going to be even one case of uh, foie gras? Well, I mean, all of the, all the restaurants are going to take it off their menus. Yeah. So that, that is already an effect, right? So it, but it's, it's, isn't it three years? Yeah, it comes into effect in 2022, I believe. See, the mayor's uh, not even mad enough to... The mayor is basically not having any mandates uh, come into force until after he's out. It's so funny. <laughs> you showed us, Bill. You got it. Got it done. Uh, yeah, well, okay. So, you know, 
Less freedom in New York as per usual. Yeah. The only good thing out of this legislative session was that the fur ban didn't go through. Oh, the fur ban failed? Uh, yeah. The, the city council found too much opposition and they like shelved it for further study in terms of the business effects. And the fur ban but, but everyone but believes no that it was fur. It, you couldn't sell fur in the in city any capacity. In any capacity. Okay. And then uh, yeah, the, the scuttlebutt is that it was particularly the effect on minority trends, mm. like fashion trends, that, yeah. like urban people like fur. Um, that is why the progressives shelled it. Yeah. It wasn't the fashion houses didn't come to them and just be like, you're literally just undermining our ability to. No, because, the, well, the fashion houses these days rely on signaling, so they can't support. For even though they like it, uh -huh. uh, okay. the you know every everything right now is about signaling like oh we're going to have a uh, zero animal right eco lines clean uh, sure. so the only people who are willing to actually go up and lobby are the fur business owners um, but a lot of council persons specifically said that they don't care about the jobs they just want they just want their their constituencies to be able to express themselves it seems that because certain African American populations like Sharpton I believe or or I mean, he maybe I'm not sure um, came like out Al, Al Sharpton yeah Al Sharpton's uh, like, listen people want to look good though I right yeah. uh, well he is also one of the it, he has very interesting positions these days because uh, he also came out uh, against uh, the ban on menthol cigarettes, mm -hmm. so that so that didn't pass. Uh, with with the vaping ban, they were there was also supposed to be a ban on menthol cigarettes, and that failed. Mm. So they didn't. I mean, anybody who you know, I live in Crown Heights, like you're not banning menthol cigarettes, like, period. Like it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, but it's just a it's just a demonstration in in terms of. You know where you have a voting group that has actual power versus yeah. those who don't. For sure. Um, and there is also just, and it, that's definitely a piece of it. But there's also, you know, the city doesn't want to be in a situation where everyone's breaking the law. They're in that situation. They don't. They don't like to be in that situation. And the thing is, Memphis they don't care about Lucy's. Eric Garner died for Lucy's. Well, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, I'm, I'm sad. I I would have. It doesn't. It doesn't suit the state to be in a situation where they're making things illegal and they're everywhere. I don't think it does. It, I don't think it. I don't. I mean, I think it. 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 It, all, it, it erodes legitimacy in government when that happens. Yeah. And so you can't. You know. You either have to really crack down or let it go. And we're gonna see if they backpedal on bacon. I mean, it's. I'd say it's private. I'd hope so. Pretty relatively. Uh, Trump out. was going to. Trump act right. Yeah, Trump backpedaled. He was going to ban vaping and uh, flavors, and he ended up not doing it. So, um, although the FDA is its own existential threat to vaping, because they're insisting that all vaping establishments, including individual locations, individual mom and pops, have to go through an independent FDA certification, which is just absurd. I mean. They can't stop themselves. <laughs> they love the tool. They have a certain set of tools in the tool shed. They want to use them whenever they can. Um, 
The only other thing that I would mention from the city council is that they passed a carriage horse uh, temperature index or or horse wellness index or yeah, something right. like oh, yeah, that. Yeah, they did all this animal stuff. Which, yeah, and that doesn't rain for me. And uh, apparently that index is complete BS. Like there's far better indices, but the the group that was pushing this couldn't care less. But what about what about the ma the master plan also came out? Yeah, so we have the streets deal. master plan. Do you so want to I, talk about that? I mean, you know, it, it puts up a bunch of benchmarks for what they want to see DOT achieve in terms of uh, in terms of like the amount of bike lanes, the amount of bike lanes of different types, the amount of pedestrian plazas. What else? They got some other stuff in there. But basically, it's city council kind of taking the lead in a situation that to me looked like, you know, if you had an active mayor, the mayor would kind of be driving the ship on that on, on this type of thing. Like no pun intended. Right? Yeah. Um, Although uh, a key part of that things. legislation was uh, that de Blasio would only agree to it uh, if it was deferred until he was out of office. Right, right. But so I would say that it probably is an indicator of how everyone knows how weak this mayor is and how disinterested the mayor is in governing. But I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm for uh, kind of what I would consider the internationalization of New York City street design. You know, there are a bunch of best practices that everyone knows who cares about city design around like what global metropolises do with streets. I mean, even any city does with streets. And New York City has been lagging significantly behind in this. And what is it? It's more bike lanes. Um, it's more pedestrian plazas, it's more bus, special bus service style buses where dedicated bus lanes uh, and, you know, and, and really focusing on uh, speeding up the, the, the rate of buses versus the cars around them so people actually want to take the bus. So actually I was quite, I was quite pleased with the whole plan and so far as someone doing something in that direction. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty simple pretty simple plan, and I, I found it interesting to watch how City Council tries to uh, direct New York City agencies, because it's, it's basically just offering a bunch of milestones and saying, like mandates, saying like you have to have this many miles of bike lane every year. This is the growth. It's not explicit about anything kind of in terms of operationally how to do that. But I, I think, I thought that was a uh, you know, it doesn't. I don't think it allocated additional money for anything, right? I think it was just a directive, uh, and I thought I think that that's exactly the type of directive that the city should be, the city council should be putting out there, particularly when you have a mayor that's not particularly interested in in pushing these issues forward. I mean, another thing that's happened, I think, since since we spoke, was the 14th Street bus lane came into effect, which was kind of a big piece of the. Uh, you know, it's a big part of that the the livable streets, bike lane street narrative. Um, which is that you know they closed down 14th Street, one of our main thoroughfares, to uh, to car traffic, uh, and now it's a bus lane. Now it's everyone thought there was going to be huge traffic jams on 13th Street or in, in adjoining adjacent streets, and there haven't been. And people are calling it a big success. You get on the bus, really easy. The streets are a lot quieter. Things are nice. It's nice to have nice streets. I don't think we should be against nice streets. Um, no, I, I mean, my, my attitude is, is how do you justify it as a libertarian, and I think that it's the, the way that the city has oriented the streets towards car traffic has been an intervention, has been an historic intervention. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's no constitutional right to an automobile. Yeah. Or a parking spot. 
Well, I mean, you can travel in it, but you don't have the right to exclude everyone else from the travel arbitrarily, right? You don't have you don't have the right to have your preferred mode of transit be prioritized. Uh, so I think that the the city has a responsibility as long as it is getting involved in the streets that it uh, accommodates as many forms of transportation as possible. Or at least as I mean, and, and like the most appropriate forms of transportation possible. If not, would have horses again, right? I mean, you can't. Well, I, well, that's the carriage horses thing. I actually do think that horses have a role if people want to have them in there. Sure, but I mean, <laughs> they don't. Then they're not accommodated for in general. Well, they should so, be, and uh, the city is is getting increasingly uh, hostile to them. Well, I mean, there's a certain there's a certain business route. I mean, there's a certain tourist thing. Yeah, like but they've been, a, but they've been a, actively. It's a, it's a tourist. It's a but tourist they industry it. in like a very specific part of the city. It's yeah, not like yeah. a commode of transit. No, 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 yeah. yeah it's a, it's a, it's a. <laughs> but like when I was a kid, attraction. when I was a kid, uh, there was a stable on the Upper West Side, and you actually got to see a lot more horses. Listen, I, I find horses to be perfectly pleasant. I'm just saying that, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are like, I wish I could, you know, back in the day, when the cars were first transit, you know, coming in. We were like, oh, I, you know, got my right to my horse, right? Like, it's like, uh, kind of, like, not, not Yeah, but, really. the, but people stopped using horses because it just was stupid. Yeah, well, I think they should, they'll stop using cars because it's <laughs> relatively stupid. I mean, yeah, I think what's, what's happening in the narrative around cars, the narrative around cars is, is, is uh, transforming, I think, before our eyes right now. And that we're seeing, like, a much more widespread feeling, much more widespread uh, kind of anti-car sentiment. Emerged. Antipathy. Yeah, antipathy. Um, particularly in the city center. Uh, I think if you're in the outer boroughs, it makes a like cars, the narrative around cars is very different. And I worry that people who like spend most of their time in the core who are saying like, some pretty nasty things about cars, um, you know, that there, there is a political backlash. It's very, I think, very possible for the outer borough folks who it's like, it's just not that big of a deal that they have their car there. And a lot of, I think, the outer borough folks People who live in you know southern Brooklyn and whatnot, like they're not driving their cars into Manhattan necessarily, but they are using their cars locally. Yeah, you know, I mean that's definitely a reason why like Staten Island wants to secede again. Right, right. So this is just because like the the cultural difference. I mean, it's it's and it's it's definitely coming to a head. I mean, if you look at how Europe developed, and also if you look at how really lovely like their 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 center cores are when it comes to all like quality of life. Uh, noise, um, tourist stuff. No, I mean, you know, it's it, market improvements. I've seen last. Yeah, they, into Europe. they hugely suppress their the density of their cores. Yeah, yeah. The, the housing uh, housing side. I'm just talking about street management. Like there has been a very evident pushing of cars out of the center, and I think to really positive consequences. Um, and that, that that's accelerating as people are. You know, more people are spending more time in these city centers, transit, you know, airplanes, or shit. You know, we're all seeing each other's city centers more frequently now and recognizing, like, oh, wow, if you look at what's happening in the Netherlands, you know, social media kind of supports a lot of this stuff where, yeah, like, I spend, like, I found myself on Dutch bike Twitter, which is just videos of, of what the streets are like in the Netherlands when you, they've removed a huge amount of cars, there's a huge amount of biking, and yeah, like, you can have an integrated, street playground cafe situation on just normal streets if you remove the cars from them. And it's, honestly, it looks amazing. I've been there. It's, it is amazing. 
Um, and so, you know, people are going to demand that quality of life improvement. And so I'm happy to see that the city is doing that. I hope we can avoid like a culture war emerging around this stuff. Because, you know, I don't like these culture wars. I think they're... they're yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I don't want to see... Terrence, we, like, mediate that. It would be nice, too. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I think in the libertarian narrative in general, or at least what's been imposed on us has been, you know, we have to be for cars because cars are like, all they're all like Ford Mustangs. You don't believe in the Beto O'Rourke uh, ideal of right. car freedom? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like in New York, it's just like, who cares? Like, it's not about that, you know? Sorry, Beto. Beto. And yeah, but we're moving into a world where we're going to have electric cars, you know, we have Uber, we have all this car sharing stuff, we have all, you know, much easier car access, car, you know, it's basic transportation as a service. Um, and so it seems like a future that's going to be less cars parked on the street, less free parking, all that stuff. So it's nice to see that the city... Well, most people don't know to shift into that. that before the 1950s or late 40s, mm. uh, cars were not allowed to park in the city overnight. Oh, really? Yes. What did they do? So there's... You had to go into a garage, or you had uh, to garage, or you had to drive out of the city. So it was like people commuting into the city could park during the day, but then they would have to bring their car back. Uh, people in the city were not allowed to park unless they used a garage or something. Right now they're talking about charging, right? So there are all these well, the, there are all these pictures uh, where there you can you don't see a car from the forties, and they're all like after the that curfew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's bizarre. Um, they're gonna start, right? I think that the <laughs> next the next step is gonna be uh, charging like yeah, permit based systems, systems for Well like, today they passed a bunch of uh, I think they I think they passed them. I don't remember I know they were <coughs> up for a vote. Uh, I don't know if they actually passed them. Uh, but the city council was supposed to have like nine bills around placard abuse. They did, I think they passed them. Okay. Yeah, black abuse is getting attacked too. I mean, there's a shift taking place, I think. I think we're really going to see, over the next five to ten years, New York really become a much more pedestrian-friendly city following more of the international norms around how you do the street design. And black abuse would be a big, is now, at, you know... Oh, it's the most a big frustrating Im Im thing impediment to that type of thing happening. So yeah, you you'd want the cops to at least... Right, if you black abuse, black abuse is when um, like city employees, often police, use... Uh, kind of like on the job placards or just fake placards that that's say like, that, you, you can know, park here during an emergency. Right. That's like as if they're, you know, in an emergency that they have the special access to park there. And so then they park everywhere, anywhere they want to. I mean, around. Basically, lower Manhattan, the entirety of lower Manhattan and parts all of downtown. The government, all the, any government district is just littered with cars parked on sidewalks, cars parked in at high. In like parks. Yeah, cars parked in parks <laughs> in one center street. One center street's got a plaza every morning. Yeah, Burrow filled, Hall. Filled with, filled with cars, yep. In the plazas. Like, this is inappropriate. Like, it's, it's, it, it, it's the police flouting the public, saying, like, we have a special privilege. You're yeah, welcome. It's that they, they're above the law. Yeah, and so I have to say, one of the most dangerous, I mean, for politicians to actually step to this is going to be one of the more discreet but most politically dangerous things I think any of them do. Yeah, um, it's because it's kind of brave, but it's, it's, it's only because it's, it's actually, so blatant. It's it's brave. I mean, you know, I was listening to a podcast. It's funny. It was a it was a, it was a traffic commissioner, DOT commissioner, in the '80s on there. It was talking about gridlock, blah blah blah. 
and I listen to a lot of podcasts. You're not going to find me referencing a lot of podcasts. Anyway, he's like, you know, so he had this whole situation with the UN and like parking and basically like placard abuse in the 80s. And he's like, he's like, you know, at the time, you know, there's all this illegal parking happening. There was also, you know, Israel, Palestine, like these massive global events were taking place where all the General Assembly people were, you know, had all these like really important issues of global import that they were like trying to deal with. And he was like, you know, I had a meeting with the, at, you know, in the General Assembly basically in the biggest room they had to address how we could, how the parking situation was changing and how we had to readdress the parking situation. And the meeting was absolutely packed, all this stuff explaining just, you know, you can't park here and like explaining, you know, because he threatened to basically like, like un, un, to basically tow everybody's like diplomatic cars. Anyway, so he has this meeting, he explains a new situation, and then one of the people come up to him from the General Assembly and was like, that was the most crowded I've, anyone has ever seen the General Assembly. Because like, people don't ever, there's work, sure, but then when it comes to parking, like, people get really, really serious and emotional. Because this is their most lived experience. Yeah, and, and like CB7, <laughs> 7 just had a just had a public meeting about whether to charge for on-street parking, mm. and that was like inc the most contentious meeting that they've and had. And you know, this, this brings me to, uh, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly going to want to talk about like, the Green New Deal and stuff like that, and how these people are crazy, um, because <laughs> what they don't realize, and what they're going to realize if, if they get any success, is that they haven't awoken the sleeping giants yet. Those sleeping giants are that Americans love love, free parking, inexpensive beef, and like, and, and their SUVs. And like... And, and single family homes. Yeah, single family homes. So, but, and, and, and if they think that they're gonna galvanize a global movement that's gonna like take to the streets and blah blah blah, like, they will, but it's gonna go the opposite direction, which is what we keep seeing. We saw within the French, with the Yellow Vest movement, we're seeing right now in Berlin, Right now, the, the tractors have come in from the countryside to protest some like agriculture policy that's like supposed to be environmental, you know. And we're seeing it all well, over that, the world. Well, that's we're what I told. The, that's what I told the upstate groups was that uh, if they wanted to make the Safe Act a thing, they really care. The tractors. They down. should go and protest in Albany and New York City. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, when push comes to shove, and people's actual kind of like material life uh, style is threatened by policy. Like they awaken and it's like, and it's the sullen masses. It's not, you know, all the people who are like, oh man, we need to like save the world. It's the folks who are like, wait a second, you're telling me that gas prices are going up, which is what's like, what's happening in Chile right now. And then they come up with the, they see this, you see this happen all the time globally. And then the, the, the left is like, oh, well, it's supposedly about gas prices, but really it's about, neoliberalism and how the rich keep taking from the poor. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe. But like actually how that's experienced by the poor is rising gas prices. And so well, Iran is like the government's Iran, about to fall. The government is about to fall because of gas prices. <laughs> it's not like gas prices are too it's like, oh yeah, because gas prices are too hot or too low because we want to stop global warming. It's like, no, like they're protesting because gas prices are too damn high because they don't want a fund transfer, like they don't want to spend the money. And so, anyway, I find that to be, uh, 
that's what's going to, I mean, what we're going to see next is we're going to see, like, if they start going after parking, you're going to see free parking, you're going to see the nastiest meetings, I think, of, of a generation right? yeah. when it comes to these, like, these types of community events. And it's going to be the same thing if they start stepping to a single family. And also, if we zone, right, if we get if we get traction on zoning, that's going to be a huge issue. Yeah, and and it's it'll this stuff will transform will transform the city, but people are not going to go quietly. And and these people are the people who show up at these meetings, car owners and homeowners, single family homeowners. Well, only, even then, even then, you only get a, a small fraction. Yeah, yeah, but when they're all so when they're all up, yeah. Oh my gosh, can you imagine like a middle village, uh, a community <laughs> meeting in middle village, telling them that single family zoning is no longer on the table, like, whoa. And particularly, you know, the clout and wealth and positions behind those people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, real, it's really, it's really, it's, it's really stepping to a, to like a particular class. Um, and honestly, in a particular class who's also particularly older and like not work and don't have, doesn't, aren't professionals like they used to be, tend to be. A lot of the car owners, I mean, that's the thing about car ownership in the city, is that like you benefit from free parking basically only if you don't have a job, a normal job. <laughs> well, a lot of like because you have to, you elder, have to do, upper west siders right. will say, oh, don't worry about my parking. I only use my car, you know, once a week uh, for like leisure rides. And they don't understand that our complaint is specifically with that. Right. Which that your, is that your car is taking up, <laughs> your car is taking up space for no productive reason. Yeah, um, but you know people like that, you know they don't that their car would have to be in a garage if they had to be at work at nine and back at five, or you know if they had a nine to five, that their car would have to be in a garage because they couldn't do all side parking. So you've got the confluence of both kind of like wealth and time, future time, future yeah. time. So you've got also a lot of those tough, people, a tough person. A lot of those people have been here forever, so they. They, you know, bought their apartment at like a steal, right. even though it's now worth like maybe four million dollars. Yeah. And they don't understand that they're rich, right. so they they can't conceive of themselves as being in a superior position. But they don't. Right. They really do not understand. Right. For them, it's just like property taxes keep going up. Yeah. They do not understand what other city residents are going through. Yeah. They, it's just flat out. Right. It's and it's it's. <laughs> And that's why the narrative, the narrative is so clearly changing where people are now calling cars like 4,000 pound cages, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, that like take up. Well, I was like staring like, at a tweet for like three minutes because there's all this cage talk and I was like, what are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but then you realize that you're like, it is, it is a 4,000 pound cage and why does it, and why does it get to inhabit you basically half an apartment for size space for free? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's taken up. It's taking up a hundred and some odd square feet. Yeah, you know? there's no reason why that can't be monetized at least. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, should we talk about the big, uh, the big kitten caboodle, whatever? Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the proper term. It's a kitten caboodle. Um, so, uh, are, you guys, are, are you sitting down? <laughs> yesterday, uh, which was Tuesday. No, today's Tuesday. That was Monday. Um, so, Andrew Cuomo and the state legislature couldn't agree on how to make a campaign finance regime in the state. So they want they want to have some kind of uh, public financing regime, uh, you mostly most likely modeled on the city, 
So the city has eight times. Because like the cities are so successful. People argue with me about how successful the cities is. I what do you think about democracy vouchers? Uh, well, okay, well that's the, okay. that's a whole. I want to talk. Can we click you just? I don't like democracy vouchers. Well, better or worse than what we have in the city? Unclear. Okay. Um, okay. But the problem is that it's entirely taxpayer based. So if it all every and it 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 suppresses all political speech through money. So it's if it's entirely. I don't. I think it's worse because it, basically almost all speech is suppressed and then only possible routed through government means. Our democracy vouchers require you to have no other yes. financing. That's unfortunate. So, okay, so that's that's democracy vouchers. Um, they, okay, so the city has eight to one matching funds, so if you raise a certain amount with qualifying uh, thresholds, uh, you will be, that amount will be matched eight to one, so if you raise $5,000, like we talked about earlier, you get a total of $40,000. So the state uh, couldn't figure out, uh, couldn't agree with Andrew Cuomo, um, the legislature, as to how to make this program. So they instead created this commission uh, that, but with nine appointed members, and whatever they came up with would become law automatically if the state legislature doesn't intervene within 20 days after they issue their report. Uh, which is a wholly illegitimate way to have this kind of uh, impactful legislation. Like, it, this is the elementary, fundamental way that our government is formed. Well, I, I feel like you're, you're, you're leaving the witness here. Right? All right. So, I thought we were just talking about yeah, so the, financing, and now it sounds like you're talking about something else. So the Campaign Finance commi uh, Commission... Uh, decided, led by Jay Jacobs, who is the Nassau County Democratic leader, and he's like totally in the popular Cuomo. Um, the they decided that to to have a six to one matching program uh, with extremely high uh, thresholds. Um, well, the not for matching, but they they kept the donation limits very high, so they. And, and they allow eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah, it's yeah. very high. Which much in the city is like two hundred and fifty, right? Right. It's much so higher it's than even completely federal. different, completely different category. Right. It's much higher than even federal. Um, so, like the governor can spend far more than a president could, um, and the uh, there are no spending limits, and the you can have rollover of funds. So Cuomo, Oof, has, a who has like fifteen million dollars in the bank can use it in the next election and no, and no one else can because no one else has that money. So it's uh, basically... So you're saying you can roll over your matching fund? Yeah. That's how... That's, that's a huge amount of money. But also you can roll over whatever money you had before under previous rules. So that's Cuomo a, has a huge, huge amount of money. How, how much yeah, so Cuomo has a huge war chest. So they, they've only... Out, oh, I don't know if you can roll over public you funds. You can't. You can't. There's no way. Uh, but you can roll over whatever you had. So Cuomo still has his yeah. war chest, uh, and and incumbents can still have their war chest, uh, and so it's a, basically an incumbent defense regime. But that's putting everything aside. Uh, what really is offensive to us as libertarians? I mean, is, all of this is offensive. Uh, is yes. Uh, but basically, yeah, well, like, this is the most disgusting move. All of this is just the most disgusting move 
by Cuomo to just protect his own kind of politics. Yeah. And the they've allocated a hundred million dollars per year per election cycle to to the matching funds. So they're concerned about not exceeding uh, that financial, not overloading the treasury. And they've justified under that that, oh, we don't want all these candidates who could be so who could get matching funds if they're not if they're part of these sham parties and they're not real parties. So what they've done is that they voted yesterday on uh, expanding the voter threshold for minor parties from 50,000 votes in a gubernatorial election, which would be every four years, from 50,000 votes every four years to 130,000 votes or 2% of turnout, whichever is higher, every two years. Which is we don't even know how that would be possible because do they do we even have statewide races every two years? Yeah, so you have to or get president. Or something, or president. So president or senator, um, but I think it was probably it's probably going to be low, uh, I mean, president. Of the president. I mean, it would have to be president. Yeah. So because it's senate, it's, we don't even. I don't think we're, we don't. I don't think not every year. Yeah, six points. years. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, it would have to be geared towards president. You would have to get those numbers on, on the presidency and on the governor. And a lot of minor parties don't actually even run national. Right. Have, don't, they don't even get involved in national. Right. Like this isn't. They didn't even make this kind of doable. They made this. No, it's, they made this absolutely impossible it's for absurd. working families. Uh, so yeah, working families, conservative party, or whatever, they don't get to. Uh, it crushes them. I mean, it literally crushes them. I mean, a, a well-functioning libertarian party could survive and thrive under that. Yeah, but we aren't that well-functioning. So the thing about this voter threshold, the thing about this voter threshold is that it, uh, based on like last election's performance in 2018, the only party that would actually meet those levels would be the conservative party. Every other party would be eliminated. And we had 95,000 votes for Larry Sharp which was the best we've ever done by far, almost twice as much. Uh, and we would have to get another 45, like another 50,000 votes. Um, it's just- which Larry could do. Maybe, Larry but it's, it's an extremely it, hard it's, ask. It would be, and I mean, it's, it's, we don't, Larry's not- Right, and, and we would have to have another Gary Johnson yeah. every presidential election. I mean, the presidential thing is what really, makes this, I mean, it, that's what makes this so impossible for the working families. Yeah. I mean, a well-functioning libertarian party should be able to sustain this. Not that so, we are a well-functioning libertarian party. So the other but thing... Like, you know, having a serious gubernatorial candidate with, like, a real institution behind it and having presidential candidates that are irrelevant, like, libertarian parties should be able to survive that. Type yeah. Of thing. But for working families, and I'm not saying we're there, but I'm saying, like, that's, to me, that I don't like any of this stuff. I don't like, I particularly don't like how they've found this really amazing way to, under the guise of getting money out of politics, enforcing money in politics, and then using that enforcement of money in politics as uh, a mechanism to put yeah, out every small people. Yeah, isn't that extremely dirty? Yeah, it's really dirty. That it's like, but no we, I mean, people just don't care. Is that, they, we're not, because of the campaign finance, we're no longer considering the ballot as some kind of political move. Right. It's, it's just an access to the program. Right. Well, that's what happened, and that's what happened. That's the the overwhelming experience of running within in New York City right now. When you're when you're a small party, when you're you know 
my experience when you're running is like, you know, okay, you get through board of elections, then you have to go through the campaign finance board to just be, and then like the campaign finance board is where all the legitimacy is bestowed because they're the ones who also determine who gets into the guide and who gets into the debates. debates. And so all of a sudden you've got this program run by these bureaucrats who are determined, who are basically creating the contours of the election all under the guise of like getting money out of politics. And it's like, where did this come from? Like, what is this extra, uh, what is this extra apparatus like, being placed on top of our election system? Already, Board of Elections is terrible at this stuff. Yeah. Right now, they're just layering another bureaucracy to just make it more institutionalized and less and, and, and more predictable. And uh, you know, the Greens have been saying this for the last couple of days. Uh, we've said it. The Libertarian Party of New York put out a press release. Um, this entire thinking is just perverse, um, and it's offensive. Um, but you know, and not are, only that. But, well, not only is do we have the voter threshold to deal with, <laughs> but you know, with the Libertarian Party, what we used to do before we got to the, past the voter threshold was that we we operated as an independent nominating committee. Oh yeah, what happened to that? Uh, and we would be able, to, we would get, you know, we would petition for each election. We would get. 15,000 signatures for a governor race. Uh, and if you get 15,000 signatures, then you get to have a ballot line in the, in the general election. Uh, they've decided to, they thought that, oh, we can't have this loophole uh, that, oh, you don't, now you don't, you know what, you raise the limits, we're just gonna do this route. So they don't, they call this a loophole. Right. I wanna kill him. Uh, <laughs> they call this a loophole. Did Bloomberg, is this how Bloomberg got on the ballot one cycle? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, probably. If he's independent, you have to go through that. Yeah. Um, so they right. They call this. They call this a loophole. In fact, they voted it down. This it was it was uh, it was proposed at forty five thousand. They voted that down, and then a couple of lower numbers were voted down, and then they went into executive session. This commission. And then they came back and voted for the $45,000, I mean, for, voted for the 5000 45000 threshold for petitioning uh, because they, like, didn't understand what was happening. So the, uh, and apparently one of the commission members, uh, I don't remember if it was specifically with the voter threshold or the petitioning threshold, but she said that if she didn't vote for it, the deal was going to be blown up. That basically Cuomo's people were going to sacrifice campaign finance entirely if third parties weren't eliminated. Uh, now, what is the consequence of the 45,000 threshold for petitioning is that That's we have to get, you know, our traditional thing, it was extremely hard for us to get 15,000 votes, I mean, 50,000 signatures. You have six weeks to do it, which is an incredibly short amount of time statewide. I mean, if you compare it between states, uh, you have to get 50,000 votes and, and it always gets uh, challenged, so you, usually you want to get double that number. So we, we would get around 25,000, but you, we would aim for 30,000 votes. I mean, 30,000 signatures. So if we, if we applied that same thinking, we would aim for 90,000 signatures in six weeks, which is it's impossible. 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 Um, and so the, the whole, it, so it's a one, I call this a one-two punch to kill third parties. Because we can't be a real party because no party except the Conservative Party, 
uh, can actually get to those thresholds for voting. And then you can't operate as an independent nominating commission to work up to that uh, because you can't, you, it's just literally impossible to get those signatures. So Cuomo says, oh, we, like parties like the Working Families Party need to just work harder. But, that, but we're, good, we're getting cut off our, our legs. Uh, the Green Party analogized it to uh, the Republicans and Democrats being uh, that we would be running a marathon with chains to our legs at the same time that the Republicans and Democrats get to be limoed to the finish line. Yeah, well, that's reasonable enough. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, yeah. Yep. It's, it's just like, guess what, I'm at New York. Like, New Yorkers don't care. Uh, you know, I would like to say that this is, you know, they're like, they're like hitting us in the, you know, they are. They're, they're like, they've looked at how much New Yorkers care about, like, alternatives. And they've said there isn't enough political resistance because New Yorkers don't care. They don't vote for these people. So why do we even have them around? And so, yeah, you're going to get the democracy that, uh, that the public fights for. And yeah, they're absolutely they're they're absolutely going to work against us. I mean, I actually I think that we're going to be able to sustain through this. The Libertarian Party could because the Libertarian Party's going places, you know that we have. I mean, I, I sincerely hope so. You know, if we get like you know Lincoln Chafee or whomever, you know, we have a credible presidential candidate. Larry's going to do his thing again. Like we'll be able to sustain, you know, a, a, I think we'll be able to hit those types of thresholds despite whatever the powerful one. You know, whatever the establishment wants, we'll be able to hit those thresholds at least like one, you know, in the beginning, just because we have a, we might have a good setup. But they absolutely want to kill any like, you know, any any of the third parties, and the challenge of the Libertarian Party is going to be like, I mean, it's a it's a big challenge to us. But if we can make it through, then we're clearly the third party. Well, yeah, okay. And so then there's... if we're clearly the third party, then I think that actually there's a there's a good side of this from a tactical perspective. None of this is good from a democracy perspective. But from a, you know, it's a serious test. If we can pass this test, then they, it's going to be difficult. Then like, we're going to get some rewards. And those rewards are going to be that, uh, you know, money and status because there's a lot less confusion out there. And then we are the third party. Now, as a third party, then the question becomes, how do we build on top of that to make sure that, that, that we can really establish ourselves as a third party. We don't just have it for you know, when Larry Sharp is running and when we have, uh, you know, I think the presidential politics, you know, it could, it, could, it could be what we need to kind of like move us into the next year, but it's definitely trash moves and it also could just absolutely undermine us. Right, I mean, there, there's also going to be litigation. Yeah. So we're, we're definitely going to be- It's gonna take a few years. Where the party is definitely gonna be involved in litigation with the other parties to pronounce that this move is unconstitutional. Um, now there's the option that within 20 days of tomorrow, the state legislature intervenes. Uh, I'm not very keen on that. Uh, it all depends on whether Working Families Party can lobby. Yeah, because that's, that's a Working Families article right there. Yeah. No one, they, no one in the legislature cares two licks about the Libertarian right, Party. Right. So the Greens. Uh, I mean, so yeah, so it's entirely about whether the Working Families Party can lobby that. Um, but he, Steve, is that how you pronounce it? Who's the leader of the assembly? 
uh, he's like firmly in Cuomo's corner on this. So I mean, now's the time when you're you know they're powerful. They've 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 made they've made moves against the IDC. You know they're all the power's been well. The working families about. has been making moves against the IDC. Yeah, no, I just mean like there's a current there's a new power dynamic and like folks are definitely going to be consolidating victories and like doing kind of the spring cleaning around their political interests. So yeah, it's a, you know, I mean, listen, we're like the highest tax state, some of the lowest service delivery, all this stuff, like it's dysfunctional. It's dysfunctional at the city level, it's dysfunctional at the state level. It's hard for me to get worked up about this when, you know, everything is so obviously bad at the city and state government levels. The public, no, but the I public mean, is no, not. You have to be worked. This, this is beyond any like. It's, I mean, not don't get wrong. It's the most that. crass, dirty move that yeah. I've, I've personally been involved, like seen. Uh, you know, there's the, the Cuomo's stupid public health vape ban was less bad than this. I think. No, this is the. I mean, this is this is. I mean, it's. The Libertarian Party has been working for 40 years to get automatic ballot access. We finally do it. And now it's the most nakedly political move. Yeah. With the most nakedly yeah. uh, non-bogus rationale. But you know, there's nothing like running for office to show to me and to show to anybody who does it how no one like, oh, is this dishonorable? Is this like immoral? Is this you know? It's like guess what? All this stuff is. And the reason why it keeps happening is because people don't want to get involved, people don't want to vote, people don't want to like get out of their comfort zone, people think they're disempowered, they feel disempowered, and so they're just like, yeah, oh wait, is politics corrupt? Huh, who would have thought? Like, of course it is. And the press knows too. The press is completely cynical about all this stuff. And, you know, everyone knows, everyone's just prepared to let the city and the state just go bankrupt, basically, by delivering terrible services because they don't see any way out. It's a it's a it's a sorry state of affairs. Listen, it's a sorry state of affairs. Nothing like running uh, to kind of really hit hit home how uh, how sorry it really really is. I mean, my 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 can my my the Republican Joe Borelli who I was campaigning against, uh, you know, like he didn't even try. You know, he hardly ran, and then he uh, he hardly ran. I don't know. And then he, uh, you know, his, his, his profile in the voter guide was, like, non-existent, basically. The voter guide, meanwhile, says that he's... Oh, yeah, it's like, stop to Blasio. Stop to Blasio three times. And then the voter guide says that he's in the campaign matching funds program, even though he's not. And then they have... Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it's like, in the guide. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. They give him the symbol. It's just, the whole thing is, it's a... They just assume. And they put, they, they... Mislabel us all as as working families. I mean, it's bad. It's really bad out there. I don't know how else to explain how bad it is. Um, but you know, we could really. But the other thing about running is you realize, as bad as it is, if you can bring that next level energy to it, like a media celebrity, like really professional approach, and like use the internet and social media to like bring some virality. Like you can absolutely break through. Like it's absolutely possible to break through. But it requires the thing that we don't like to do. Libertarians don't like to do. You're like knocking doors and like getting out there and knocking doors. Asking and, for money. Asking for money and being out like and making it more than making, doing the work. 
And like that's what the socialists do, is they actually enjoy knocking doors. It's a part of their social life. Uh, you know, it's knocking the doors and like going you know, events. Their social lives become these campaigns, and so they can get the people out for it. And uh, you know, we don't operate that way. Well, so we all respect find, each other's lives. We're gonna have to like yeah, intruders. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to find we're gonna have to find another way to bring that level of energy and and seriousness to the politics. If not, we're you know we're just gonna get crushed under you know and and, and like not and crushed and. No one's really going to pay that much attention to well, Russian. On that note, do you think? Yeah, we're definitely over time. So. Yeah. All right. So that was that. Thanks for. Uh, <laughs> uh, but hopefully we'll see you at the. Okay. Well, well, we have still have a December episode. Uh, yeah. So uh, perhaps happy some of the holidays. Yeah. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we'll see you in December. All right. Good night, everyone. Peace.